Morning, everybody. Um, I was just thinking when uh, this morning when I, when I was praying just about local church. You know, um, this is a, a complete aside and has nothing to do with what I'm going to say, but that's just kind of the way I roll, really. So uh, I was thinking about local church, right, and how, how easy it is to slag off local church. Isn't it? Put your hand up if you've ever said anything negative about church. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the honesty of the rest of you. Um, we always find something wrong with it. If everybody was just like me, church would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Amen, amen. <laughs> and then I thought about how many people who come early just on a Sunday to make a Sunday service kind of happen. And the folks who kind of do the hospitality and the folks who... Um, who do the kind of sound and vision and, and Isla and the band and the folks who make the tea and coffee. And then I thought about the alpha stuff and, and the, the people who come along and kind of get involved in that and are committed to that and kind of do that stuff. And, and then I thought about all the other people who are involved in, in a week and I thought, if it were not for God, that would not happen, would it? <laughs> the church is actually a miracle. It's, it's a miracle of kind of messed up people. Um, and there's always room for more messed up people to come and join it. But, but it's a miracle of grace and goodness as, as we try and work out in, in a messed up world what it's like to follow Jesus. And what it's like to follow Jesus together, even with people who just do our head in. Uh, people who just, uh, just annoy us. People who don't think like us. People who have different interests and, and hobbies and values and worldviews and all, all of these things. And yet somehow, and sometimes we find this hard to believe, somehow God loves them as well. And, and in this kind of messed up uh, world, God brings together this messed up bunch of people and breathes love and forgiveness on them and tells them, work it out in the power of the Spirit to become a witness to the wonder of grace. A witness to the wonder of grace. And it's not easy <laughs> to do. And, and it's challenging. And sometimes we get it wrong and... And if, if you've been hurt by church, then I'm really sorry that you've been hurt by church. Um, but but as, as we try and work out in the midst of our mistakes, somehow a miracle happens. And unity comes, and understanding comes, and forgiveness comes, and people find their gifts, and people find how to move on. And somehow, no wonder, people who are far off and aliens and broken become something beautiful. And together, and God looks down upon it from the, from the youngest to the oldest and says, look what I'm doing. I am beautifying a bride. And I love it with all my heart. And that's the local church, isn't it? Um, that's, uh, that's who we are in Christ. And um, maybe you came this morning thinking, oh, well, uh, 
I'm not sure where I should go to this, as long as it's that, no, that wee Pfeiffer boy speaking, because he really does my head in. Uh, then there we go. Um, God's maybe got a lesson for you in the midst, uh, the midst of that. But you need to understand, as I do, that we belong to one another. And we are called to one another. And we laugh together, we cry together, we stand together, we worship together. But together is what we're called to be in the unity of the miracle of the body. Now, why am I kind of saying all that as, as an aside? I'm saying all that because what James is trying to say in, in the midst of, of his writing is, God has called you to be a particular people, almost a peculiar people. And he's calling you to live in a way that nobody else can live like. And he's calling you to exercise grace and love and forgiveness and mercy in, in ways that, that nobody else in the world can replicate. The world can replicate a whole bunch of stuff, but they can't replicate what I have given you. And you have to work out how to live that out. But not just how to live it out, how to live it out in a harsh and angry land that you've been placed in. And in the midst of it, you're going to be called to be a witness. Faithful, day by day, sometimes non-dramatic, just getting on with following Jesus together as a people. And everything in the world will try and destroy your witness. Everything in the world will run contrary to the things I'm doing within you as a people. And the pressure will be on continually for you to compromise and look just like everything else and everyone else and lose that uniqueness that God has called you into. That's James's heart. No. I guess you sum it up by saying you either live as a small bunch of crazy, God-filled people or you live like the world and you've got no other options in between. Um, I'm all for the kind of small, crazy, Jesus-loving people. Um, but the pressure's on, right? The pressure's on to be just like the world. So if you've not been following James or this is your first time um, in the church for, for a little while, where have you been? No, I'm only kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> I, uh, let, let me in, in one minute just tell you about James. So uh, James, a half-brother of Jesus, he becomes the kind of head of the early church in, uh, in Jerusalem, working with uh, Jewish Christians. He, he kind of uh, is, is martyred quite early on in the history of the Christian church. Um, he writes a letter, but it's not a letter like, like Paul's letters. It's not a letter where, where he's, he's got a particular bunch of people in mind and he's saying, sort this out, and you who's not talking to her, start talking to her, and you do this. It's not that kind of letter. It's like all the kind of best wisdom of James out there for all churches of all time. And... Um, and people say that he's kind of shaped by the Sermon on the Mount and probably by the book of Proverbs. Um, I kind of think if you're the half-brother of Jesus, you've probably heard the Sermon on the Mount like a thousand times. Right? You've heard it over breakfast. You've heard some of the sayings at tea. You've heard them when you're out walking because you're just part of the family and Jesus is saying all this stuff all the time. 
So he, he's kind of embedded in the teaching of Jesus and he writes this stuff and at the heart of it really is, how do you live a godly life in an ungodly world? That's kind of where we are. It's probably, um, well not probably, it is the earliest piece of writing in the New Testament. It's, it's earlier than Paul's letters. It's earlier than the written gospels. It's the earliest piece that shows you what the issues of the church were and what they're wrestling with. So, so let me read some verses from chapter three as we continue our kind of studies going through it. And this is Paul starting to think a little bit about, about wisdom. Um, Who is wise and understanding among you let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. First slide, please. It's going to take a wee minute to come up. We're kind of a wee bit slow at the moment. Oh, okay. Well, when it does come up, the next one. <laughs> Let me just, there we go. So, um, I want to explain this. If, if somebody asks you, right, over coffee and blend, um, if, if somebody kind of asks you, explain the gospel. Explain this kind of Christian story and big story. And, and you can't remember what you're told at Alpha, right? So you could go for this, right? It starts, starts with a God who creates everything. Uh, starts with an openness between God and people. And then suddenly in the midst of that, there is sin. And people are separated from God and separated from one another. And they don't love themselves. They don't love others. They don't love God. They're totally fallen. And in the midst of it, God looks down upon them and has a plan to redeem the whole thing to create a, a new relationship between people, one another, God and people, and create a new heaven and a new earth. He does this by the means of redeeming and kind of uh, buying back, bringing back those who have gone far off. So one minute you're at the edge of things, but then God in his grace has found a way to bring you back into relationship. God is about restoration. Restoration of heart, restoration of, of life, restoration of the planet. How does God do that? He does it through Jesus and through the cross, and through Christ coming to die. And all over this story, there is the story of Jesus at the center of it. It's all right, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, some folk, say theologians are going, no, not sure you could have put in a bit more about Exodus or something like that. Don't like the language of it. Um, 
All of this is like knowledge, right? It's, it's head knowledge. It's, it's what uh, Greek would call gnosis, understanding of, of things. So um, I, uh, I have five different qualifications in theology and stuff, right? I need to get a life. I know that, I know that, kind of. Um, it was like buy one, get one free kind of qualifications. And, and all of it is like head knowledge, right? Um, but that head knowledge is not what James is talking about. James is not talking about head knowledge. James is talking about understanding of, of life and of God in such a way that it alters the way you live, so you can have tons of knowledge that doesn't affect the way you live your life. You can know what's right and wrong and still do the wrong. You can know that that says 30 miles an hour only and drive 40. You can, you can go and you can see and know average speed cameras and then think, well, I've been doing 65 for the last 20 miles. So if this is an average speed camera, I can now do 74 and a half for the next 20 miles and still not get a light shine. Um, so, so knowledge is just, it's just all head stuff. That's not, James is not interested in that. Look, next one, please. What he's interested in is called sophos, which means wisdom. And James wants to say there are two types of wisdom in the world. There is, there is the world's wisdom, the way in which you live that fits in with culture, the way in which you fit in with everything that's happening around about you, the influences that would seek to shape your life. That's the world's wisdom. Or there is, he says, heavenly wisdom. They are two totally separate things, and they work in two different ways, and they lead to two different paths. I guess I would say of today, if you like, there is two different trinities. Right? There is the world's trinity, which is consumerism. You are what you kind of wear, buy, drive. That's your identity is kind of connected up. in the stuff you're kind of, um, you're looking around for the kind of labels and the best you can get. You fit in with a group that looks and wears and does whatever. Consumerism, you're driven by what you buy, what you own. Everything you think about is the next thing. So you've got an iPhone 8, you want an iPhone 9, then you want an iPhone 10, and then you kind of queue for an iPhone 11, and then you find an iPhone iPhone 11 has only just got a wee bit better camera than iPhone 10. You think, why did I pay all that money for it? But then you queue because you just want, and you want more stuff, and you want more stuff. Consumerism. Individualism. I essentially am God. It's all about my rights, what I want, what I think. I should be able to do whatever I like. Nobody should be able to tell me how I think, how I live, how I respond to other people. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, then I have the right to be whatever I want to be, whatever minute I want to be, and you have no place to tell me because it's all about me. Individualism is all about the individual. It's about you. Life revolves around me. And I don't take kindly to anybody telling me how I should live or what I should do or how I should think, or any of that stuff. Individualism. So we've got 
the philosophy of consumerism and we've got individualism kind of coming together. And then you kind of put that, I suppose, together with secularism that says there is no God, there is no big story, there is no judgment, there is nothing to worry about. You just kind of live as you want to live. And those three uh, are the philosophies, the Trinity of today that shape the world in which we live. And if we think they're not in the church, then we are at best naive. So those are the kind of wisdoms that kind of drive us today. I guess in, Paul, in uh, James' time, there was uh, paganism. There was a whole host of other things, but there was still ambition. There was still consumerism. There was still the same kind of things. This is what James says about them. They lead to bitter envy. If only I had what they had. If only I could get the next step on the ladder. I just wish I lived in that area, not that area. I just wish I drove that kind of car, not that kind of car. I just wish I had the kind of watch that they've, that they've got because that kind of watch always means you're successful. And so you just become envious of others. I find that sometimes in the church, I've got to say this, as somebody who kind of, uh, heads up in some ways, like thousands of churches. This is what I hear. Don't know how they're managing to get as many people coming. Um, no sure about it. Um, we've got 80 uh, young folk. If you go around a room of leaders, how many young folk have you got? Oh, I've got 60. Uh, 65. Um, oh, well, I've got 80. Um, and a competitive, envying spirit comes into the church and into us so often. If only we could be like that. But envy has a bitterness to it. It twists the way we think about people. And we don't see them as people anymore. We see them as people who have things that we want. Envy. It also leads to selfish ambition. Gotta get on top. Got to keep pushing my way forward. Got to stand on people. Got to go and push and push and push and push and push to get to the next level and the next level and the next level and the next level until there's no more levels left. And then you think, well, I've got to find a new level, find something else to do. There's always another thing. It's ambition that drives us continually. Ever had that sort of ambition? It thinks just got to get ahead of them, just got to be successful, just got to push on, just got to ignore them. Be great if they actually failed because that would make a room for me to be more successful. And then boasting, James says, boasting. Where uh, all we talk about is ourselves. Now, I, I know that some people will come back and say, well, the reason I talk about myself so much is because I'm the most interesting person that I know. Uh, and you may be like that. <laughs> There's an arrogance in the cultures that James is talking about and the wisdom philosophies that are driving that lead to an arrogant heart. Um, we want to boast about our, what we've done. Facebook is a great place for boasting, isn't it? Um, 
Look at the tea that I'm having in the restaurant I'm in. Picture. Look at the seats I've got at this concert. Picture. Look who I'm standing next to in the queue. Picture. Oh, I forgot life is all about me. Picture. Our social media drives individualism and drives that ambition and boasting heart. It's not all a bad thing, social media, but we see the philosophies that lead to a bitterness and a oneness. But James says, you're not like that. That, that whole thing, it's, it's worldly. He even, he even goes on to use the word that says it's, it's demonic. It's, it's destroying what God has called you to. You know, you know this bunch of individuals who try and get a fight against one another to try and get to the top and they're envious and worried about other people who might get to the top beyond you. You're not that. That's not what you're called for. You're better than that. You're called for better than that. And there is a wisdom that comes from God, he says, that enables you to live in a totally, totally different way. Look, thanks. If we can just get the next slide up. And there we go. He says, there is a wisdom that leads to different characteristics and different ways of relationship. Firstly, he says, this wisdom that comes from God, this kind of Holy Spirit enlightened living that flows from your mind into your heart, he says, first of all, it is pure. He doesn't use the word that we think of pure in terms of like a, a sexual morality, purity. He means purity of motive. You want to live so others flourish. What you say, you're saying in love. What you want is for, for a harmony, a peace, everybody growing. You have no motive of yourself if you have a godly, godly wisdom. Then he, he talks about a whole list of others that are there, but basically what he's saying is this. The people of God, when they understand God and live in God, they live in a radically different way. It is different to the way of the world. It is, it is an, a completely counter-cultural way of living. And that's the way that God has called you to live. So rather than always wanting your voice and your say, he says, this wisdom is submissive. It wants to find a way for, for lifting other people up and living in peace one to, one to another. He says, it's, it's full of mercy. Full of mercy. Overflowing and, and abundantly merciful to people. It's living, wanting to get an arm around people and say, God loves you. It's going to be all right. God's not going to treat you the way you deserve to be treated. Let me just be with you. The world might want to judge you, but we find one who offers forgiveness and hope. It's a merciful living as a community of grace. I love this one. It's impartial. Well, that's a tricky one, isn't it? 
it's a, that's a tricky one because because we want to hold on to things that that in a sense mean that we don't always agree with one another. But how do we not agree with one another well? <laughs> and how do we find a kind of middle road? There's some people when you try and find a middle road, I know it's from experience, would just call you a compromiser and kind of weak for trying to find a middle road of stuff. But actually, this way is without partiality. You're not favoring one group of people as opposed to another. You're looking for a, a way to live that lifts all people up, believing that God cares about all people equally, equally. And we've come across this in James already, haven't we? We've come across uh, the idea of the poor coming into the church or somebody wealthy coming into the church. And how would you deal with them in that impartiality or partiality? He says the wisdom of God is impartial. Sincere, considerate, and bears good fruit. <laughs> this way of living... I think is so different to the world that what it does is people who are fed up with this ambitious, selfish individualism think, where else can I go <laughs> for this? Where, where will I find somewhere different? Who's living differently to this? And there they look upon this bunch of crazy, small, loving Jesus people. And they think, I don't know how they're doing this. But they're different. These people are different. They, they want everyone to flourish. They, they want to live well. They want to live in abundance with other people. They care, genuinely care about one another flourishing. They, they, they're sincere of heart, but they're loving and merciful. And, and together they're different, and I want that. I want that. So James is not saying you need to go into the world and actually change the way the world thinks. He says you want to live the way God has called you to live. And the world will see it and some people will be drawn to it. The most effective evangelism in the world is local church being local church the way God intended it to be. And then, uh, next slide please. And then he kind of says this at the end of it. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Almost going directly back from what we heard uh, earlier about, about peacemakers in the Sermon on the Mount. Peacemakers who live and sow in peace. Shalom people who sow their lives into shalom, reap a harvest of people who are right with God and right with one another. What an amazing picture, isn't it? That word peace, it's not, it doesn't mean an absence of war. Shalom means this giving of, of well-being, rightness, harmony, coming together, everything fitting together. So shalom makers, people who live for bringing wellness and harmony to others, who live in that peace themselves, will reap a harvest of rightness in God. This is one of the great New Testament promises to finish with.
So where are you in the midst of this? Do you reckon you recognize yourself more controlled by the trinity of the world or the Father, Son, and Spirit? Are you more of a rampant, ambitious, individualistic person caught up with the next label? Can you not wait till the next phone comes out? Or are you a person who is living, influenced by God, longing for the flourishing and development and closeness and unity of the people of God? Are you driven to see change for yourself? Or are you a person of peace whose heart is at peace, longing for the peace of others? Are you somebody who is living as a reconciler? Getting alongside people, putting an arm around them and saying, God is merciful. God is merciful to you. God loves you and wants the best for you. And I will give my time, my life, my energy to help you find the best. Can you imagine what James's dream is? In the midst of this kind of persecuted, poor, neglected bunch of people in Jerusalem, hated by the, some of them by their own families, thrown out of their own religious connections, huddling around in houses. And James is saying to them, you are God's master plan in Christ for the transformation of the world. You are God's master plan. Let's pray. Do you want to stand with me if you can? That would be fantastic. Thank you. God, as we seriously reflect upon our lives, um, yeah, we, we know how often we are subtly driven back to the trinity of the world rather than you. <laughs> how often we're kind of influenced by the apparent wisdom of the world and how we carry envy <laughs> and ambition and bitterness and how subtly that gets into our hearts and minds dictates the way we think and the way we treat other people. And God, we are so sorry for that. We, are, we need your forgiveness for the times that we have not lived for the flourishing of others when we've had favorites and we've lifted other people up and we've idolized some and rejected others, when we've created cliques and put in borders and said, you belong and you don't belong, when we've envied the things other people have or even other churches have, And somehow we have drifted miles from the wisdom of God. The heavenly wisdom 
that says it doesn't matter how far off you are. You can be brought near. It doesn't matter how broken you are. You can be healed. It doesn't matter how the world has treated you. You can find a home here. That our hearts are set to a radical, different agenda. The agenda of life. The agenda of shalom. And God, will you help us in our weakness and in our frailty to move closer to what your heart is for community, for life, for well-being. May we be a people of peace who carry and live peace that see and reap a harvest of righteousness, of rightness in our own hearts and our own relationships. Holy Spirit, will you come and help us? God, the world needs to see a radical, countercultural, loving, forgiving community. Scotland needs to see that. Perth needs to see that. Real, faithful witness, day in, day out, longing longing, longing for you to touch the hearts of others, cheering one another on, supporting one another. May that be our heart's desire, God. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.